An open revolt. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, editor at quorumreport.com, Jeremy Wallace at HoustonChronicle.com. My partner in crime is still on vacation, which of course he deserves. I'm sure he'll come back next week. Wouldn't you want to return to cover all of this? What's going on? We've got um, the quorum break that continues in the Texas House, and we'll talk about that. We've got a filibuster in the Texas Senate that unfolded this week over the elections bill, and we'll talk about that. But we have to start with this open revolt all across the state. We started to see the outlines of this last week, and now it's just exploded everywhere. And I was looking for, and I don't think there can even be one yet because we're not done seeing local governments defy Governor Abbott. Uh, They're doing it all over the place. School districts, big and small, cities and counties uh, doing this. They want to be able to do things to contain this new wave of the coronavirus, this Delta variant that is just like a wildfire all over the place. We have very few ICU beds across the state that are available because of this. I think here in the Austin region, we were down to one or two ICU beds for an 11 county region. Not good. It's a bad situation. Abbott is saying that local governments can't do things like put mask mandates in place, particularly in public schools. Abbott said any school district that adopts a mask mandate for the kids they will be sued by the state of Texas. They're going to face off in court with our attorney general, Ken Paxton. I was looking for a list of all of the entities that are going to end up in court with Texas. You have the federal government in court uh, with uh, Texas uh, over one of the governor's executive orders out in El Paso, um, Dallas County, Harris County, the HISD, the Austin School District, all these different entities that are telling the governor to shove it, basically. Um, In Dallas County, the county judge is Clay Jenkins. He put out an executive order of his own, and he said it does a variety of things. From the date of this executive order, all child care centers and pre-K through 12 public schools operating in Dallas County must develop and implement a health and safety policy. The health and safety policy must require, at a minimum, universal indoor masking for all teachers, staff, students and visitors to child care centers and pre-k through 12 schools i remember when i was a radio reporter in 2005 it was the aftermath of hurricanes katrina and rita rita came right on the heels of katrina and national media of course descended on houston now you remember katrina struck new orleans in louisiana we had so many evacuees come from the superdome to the Astrodome in Houston and the response to that uh, just giant migration of people, that in and of itself required a disaster response. And the county judge was in charge of that. At the time, it was a Republican named uh, Robert Eccles. And national media wanted to know why the county judge, why anybody who's a judge would be in charge of disaster response. Well, as you know, as uh, you know, a very informed Texans, you know that it's basically a county executive. That's what a county judge is. Although you may know this in some small jurisdictions, uh, county judges still perform some judicial functions as well. So it's sort of a weird thing. The name is a little confusing for people, but the county judge by state law, this is the answer to the question from the national media. The answer is the county judge by state law is in charge of disaster response. But over the last year, we have seen all of this turned on its head by a governor who's interested in consolidating power in his office. And Abbott has asserted throughout the pandemic that he is the only one who can make these decisions. Well, I shouldn't say 
the entire pandemic. Remember, at the very beginning of the pandemic, some of the tough decisions were made by the local officials. In Austin, for example, you had the mayor and the county judge shut down South by Southwest. Huge economic impact to Central Texas. I think that's about a $300 million uh, event for this area. Uh, in Houston, they shut down uh, Rodeo Houston, and that was a local decision as well. Uh, but a couple months into this, Abbott said he was taking that authority away from the local governments, and he alone would be the one to make decisions about mask mandates, which remember, last summer, it was Republicans who were mad at Abbott over his statewide mask mandate. Remember, you could face a $200 fine for breaking his mask mandate. Now he goes, he's gone right back to saying government should never be able to make you wear a mask. And in this case, the government shouldn't be able to make kids who are not eligible for the vaccine yet that they can't make them wear the masks either. Um, Christian Menifee is the county attorney in Houston, and he told public media there, Houston Public Media, that Abbott is turning the law on its head, that this doesn't make any sense. The Disaster Act anticipates that the governor will only suspend laws to help responding with the disaster. But the problem here is the governor is not using his suspension of laws to respond to the disaster or to help local officials respond to the disaster. Instead, he's using his ability to suspend laws to prohibit local officials from taking action to stop the spread of COVID. So Harris County is suing Greg Abbott. Now, you heard that from Menifee. You can forget all that logic if you're Ted Cruz, the very junior senator from Texas, who says all of this is really very simple. There should be no mandates, zero concerning COVID. That means no mask mandates, regardless of your vaccination status. That means no ma no vaccine mandates. Th that means no vaccine passports. And I've introduced legislation, a bill to ban vaccine passports. This week, I'm introducing a bill to ban vaccine mandates. And this will, I'm, week, I'm introducing a bill to end mask mandates. Now, why is Abbott really doing this? Why is he fighting with the school districts, the cities, and the counties? I was talking to some very conservative Republicans privately over the past uh, week about the school districts in particular. You got Houston ISD and Dallas ISD, the big school districts. There's some small ones that are doing this too, openly defying Abbott. The, the superintendents say that they will pay the fine themselves. I think it's $1,000 for them to go ahead and put a mask mandate in place. The governor was not exactly clear about uh, how often the $1,000 fine would be imposed. If it's just the one time, Believe me, superintendents in Texas can pay for it out of their own pocket. The, the, big, <laughs> the big district superintendents uh, would not feel that at all. But why is Abbott really doing this? I get a lot of calls from national media, and I think they have an answer in mind, an answer that they expect, and it's sort of right. It's part of the answer. National media is under the impression that Abbott is probably running for president. There was a big story in, uh, I think, in Politico magazine this past week about that uh, possibility and about Abbott uh, generally and about whether he would run for president specifically. Uh, the, the answer that they probably want to hear or expect to hear is that Abbott's probably going to run for president. And so he needs the support of those same people who support President Trump, former President Trump, who they all hate the mass mandates. They hate the vaccine mandates, as you heard from Senator Cruz. And Cruz, of course, is doing a version of that. He has already said he's running for president again, uh, pretty much. I think he basically said that. He, there's no secret about the fact that Cruz wants to run for the White House again. But with Abbott and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, this is part of the answer, that they want to appeal to the Trump supporters because they may run for president. And Abbott, of course, has a Republican primary already for his own office for reelection. So that is happening. But here's the rest of the answer with Abbott. 
it, because there's much more to it with him. And I want to explain this by going back in time a little bit. Um, Abbott is imposing his worldview on all of us during a public health disaster, and it's not achieving good results so far. What do I mean by that? These are long-held beliefs by Abbott that local governments should not have any say in how Texas is run. Let's prove it here. Going back to 2015, Abbott gave a speech right here in Austin at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, which has a beautiful tax-exempt building in downtown Austin. And he talked about how cities and counties should not even have the authority to do almost anything, including put tree pruning ordinances in place. The truth is, Texas is being Californiaized with bag bans, fracking bans, tree cutting bans. We're forming a patchwork quilt of bans and rules and regulations that is eroding the Texas model. Now, some of you probably thought I was making that up when I said that he's against tree pruning ordinances. You heard him say it right there. Uh, he said that it's communism, basically. Did he say communism? Oh, wait, he said collectivism. <laughs> he was he was a little more cautious than that. He said collectivism. He was really focused on this tree ordinance thing. This is a form of collectivism. Some cities claim that the trees on private property belong to the community. Large cities that represent about 75% of the population in this state. Well, with the trees, it is also a safety issue. You don't want trees to not only look nice, but you, you want them to also not touch uh, electric uh, transmission lines and things like that. That aside, the governor is arguing, and you heard him say it, that it's socialism and collectivism for a community to work to improve what's along their streets. Seems like a bit of a stretch. I think if you ask most Texans about tree pruning ordinances, they wouldn't immediately think of collectivism and socialism. But this is the point. The governor has been at war with cities and counties all along. It wasn't just the trees. It was also things like property taxes. You might remember in 2019, there was a hard-fought piece of legislation that had to do with property tax caps for cities and counties and school districts. The same exact people he's fighting with now over mask mandates and proof of vaccination uh, requirements, um, he's been at war with them for a long time. His hostility is not new. What is new is that his hostility is happening at a time when people are dying of a disease that's ravaging the state, the nation, and the country, and he's not getting out of the way and letting them do what they need to do. When I talk to some very conservative parents in Texas, they'll say, look, on the school districts, just let them have that. You've got kids who can't get the vaccination yet. I think it's 12 and younger. Can't get the vaccination. For the rest of us, go get the vaccine. You are the reason we even have a Delta variant because you haven't gotten vaccinated. You're a Petri dish for whatever the next variant of the disease is going to be. Uh, but it is something that's become Republican orthodoxy over the last, it's fairly recent, over the last five or six years that they hate the cities and counties. Now, you think I'm exaggerating? Do you remember after the 2019 legislative session, after that whole fight had played out about the property tax caps, the Speaker of the House at the time, Dennis Bonin, was caught on tape along with uh, one of his chairmen, Dustin Burroughs, a Republican from Lubbock. And in that conversation, a lot was said. It led to the downfall of Bonin because he had plotted against some of the Republican members of the Texas House. But one of the things that was said, in this recording that I think went on for at least about an hour or something like that, was Burroughs, who was the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee at the time. They deal with uh, tax issues in the Texas House. 
He said, quote, we hate cities and counties. And it's sort of a weird thing to be obsessed with. I think most average people would think that that's a strange thing to say. Uh, they boasted about how they had targeted local governments in order to reduce their political and tax collecting powers. So this war between the cities and counties, not new at all. The legal fights that are going to play out are very necessary. As I mentioned, it was Republicans who were mad at Abbott last year for unilaterally making a lot of these decisions. A lot of those same Republicans are silent now when he is acting to uh, silence and to uh, immobilize local government responses to a pandemic. They're saying nothing about that. Let's work this out in court. What does the governor really have the authority to do? This has not really been challenged yet. And anybody who says it's just politics as usual, that it's a Republican governor versus, you know, Democratic county judges and uh, Democratic mayors, it, that's not good enough. That analysis is not good enough. This is his worldview, and it needs to be challenged so we can figure out what's really the truth here and what's allowed going forward. Because let me tell you something. When you talk to parents, when you talk to uh, folks who have loved ones in senior living centers and things like that, they want some clarity. The, the, the whole um, war between the cities and counties, it's a good headline for us. It's, um, it's very interesting to cover from a news standpoint. What people in Texas need is clarity about what is allowed uh, and, and what's going to be done going forward in this pandemic. So we'll continue to cover all of it for you. The voting rights fight continues with absent Democrats in the Texas House and a filibuster in the Texas Senate. Now, this filibuster played out with about 24 days left to go in the legislative session. And the way a filibuster works in Texas is a senator can hold the floor by speaking for as long as they can. I think the longest one was in the 70s. Let me see. It was um, 1977. It was 44 hours of a filibuster. And at that time, when that senator spoke on the topic of the legislation they were against for 44 hours, I wasn't there for that. I was told the moment that the senator sat down, the moment he retreated, that he gave up, that he ran out of gas, that minute the Senate passed the bill. Basically the same thing this time around. Um, senator Carol Alvarado from Houston spoke for 15 hours. Now, if you were going to say this was just a gimmick, this was just some sort of a stunt, you might think that the, what the senator would do is start talking at about 6 o'clock on one evening, which she did. And maybe talk till midnight or 1 a.m. That way it would be covered on the local news at 10 p.m. around the state and might make the national news that there's a filibuster happening in Texas over this voting rights thing. She talked for 15 hours until right about 9 o'clock the next morning. As she was wrapping up and, and listen to uh, what Senator Alvarado had to say in her closing statement. And keep in mind when she's saying this, she has been talking basically nonstop for 15 hours now. If you watched it like I did, I watched most of it. I did sleep at some point, but I watched most of it. Other senators helped out by asking her questions and giving her a chance to uh, not talk for a few minutes at a time, but she couldn't drink any water. These are the rules. Um, no water, uh, can't lean on your desk or anything. You have to stand upright and stay talking on the same topic for the entire time you're filibustering. As she wrapped up, Senator Alvarado was surrounded by Democratic senators and she pointed to the achievements of a great Texan, President Lyndon Johnson. I'm reminded of his words on the day in 1965 when he signed 
the Voting Rights Act, and when he said, the vote is the most powerful instrument ever devised by man for breaking down injustice and destroying the terrible walls which imprison men because they are different from other men. It is on his legacy that Texas Democrats in both chambers draw the line in the sand and say unapologetically and in one accord for the world to hear that voter suppression anywhere is a threat to democracy everywhere. Thank you. Gratefully, thank you, Mr. President and members. Thank you. Now, if the most significant thing to come out of this was a focus nationally back on the voting rights fight uh, here in Texas, well, that was certainly achieved. Senator Alvarado was on MSNBC later with Rachel Maddow. Well, it was a remarkable feat. Um, and I have to ask if you, I mean, you, our office talked with you um, uh, be, before you settled into this. And we yes. know that you were a pragmatist about this. And we know that yes. uh, you told our producer, Kay Guerrero, that, you know, this was intended to be something that would slow things down. You knew this wouldn't stop it. Does it feel like it was worth it, especially now that you're feeling the physical pain of what you did? Absolutely. I was demonstrating that I'm literally standing for democracy for 15 hours. But what's important to note here is that Texas Democrats aren't taking this line down. There's a line that we live by, don't mess with Texas. And so I say, don't mess with Texas Democrats. Just because we don't have the numbers doesn't mean that we have to roll over and let them do whatever they want. This filibuster was meant to put the brakes on this and to shine a national spotlight. And it worked because we are getting calls from all over the country. While I was filibustering, we were getting uh, stories from people and how this bill would suppress them, mainly from the disabled community and seniors. And after she spoke for the 15 hours, just like happened in 1977 with that other filibuster, SB1, the elections bill, passed the Texas Senate again. I'm not sure if Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has a lot of faith in the Texas House of Representatives being able to get a quorum, because every time a bill like SB1 or some of the other priorities of Abbott and Patrick passed the Senate in the first special session and now in this second special session, he'll put out a statement about each of the bills, and he says something like, the Senate will pass SB1 over and over again until there's a quorum in the Texas House. And what he means by that is, if they have to do another special session on the same stuff, they'll do it. And one after that, and one after that. And the governor, of course, has promised one after another. What about those House Democrats? Are they coming back to the floor? Well, not so much. Every day this week, I have gone, except for today, I'm, I'm giving myself a break today uh, because I had no indication that that there was going to be a quorum in the House. Each day this week, I went down to the floor of the House and checked it out for you. And there were probably about 55, maybe 60 members of the Texas House on the floor. It takes 100 for them to be able to conduct business. A lot of Democrats are still gone. And let's be honest, a lot of Republicans are not there either. Um, Jasmine Crockett is a freshman Democrat from Dallas. She has been all over the national TV, MSNBC and CNN. And she says she is coming back to Texas, but she's not coming back to the Capitol. I'm in DC at the moment. I do plan to go home. Um, you know, we said we would stay here so long as the Senate was working on voting rights. 
obviously we saw our wonderful senator uh, catch that shade, if you would. Uh, <laughs> we saw what Ted Cruz decided that he wanted to do. Of course, he had to be the one to lead the charge to block voting rights. How else can he get reelected in the state of Texas? Um, so, you know, that vote took place at 4 a.m. So at this point in time, I've done what I said I would do. At this point in time, we are handing the baton off. I don't know what else Texas Democrats can do to get this thing past the finish line. But I do feel confident that we have given it our all. Um, and I'm going to my district. I'm not going to the floor. As you heard there, they're under threat of civil arrest, which means state troopers might knock on the door bring them to the Capitol. What I'm told today is that the sergeant at arms, who is not, uh, I guess, is sort of law enforcement, not technically law enforcement. What can be done is the Department of Public Safety troopers can be sent uh, under the law and house rules. DPS can go to the homes of these Democratic lawmakers, go to wherever they might be to their place of business or wherever else and find them and bring them back to the Capitol. That's not happening so far. The sergeant at arms, who's sort of uh, the security for the Texas House, um, is going to the homes of lawmakers in the Austin area and seeing if they're there and then would ask them to come back to the House. So far has not had any success with that. You heard Crockett say uh, that Senator Ted Cruz had blocked an effort in the U.S. Senate to move forward with a voting rights bill, which has been the whole point of why the Democrats broke quorum in the Texas House and went to Washington for the time that they have been there. A lot of those Democrats are back here in Texas. Some are still in Washington at the, I put in quotes, luxurious Plaza Hotel. Well, here's what Crockett was talking about. Uh, Cruz, in an overnight session of the U.S. Senate, was the one, because of course he was, to object as the Democratic leader tried to put the For the People Act, this is the big wish list of Democrats about elections, uh, he wanted the For the People Act on the floor. Now, why did Cruz do that? Why did he stand in the way? This bill would constitute a federal government takeover of elections. It would constitute a massive power grab by Democrats. It would disenfranchise millions of Americans. And it would do precisely the opposite of its nominal title for the people. It, would, it is instead for the politicians. The Democratic leader in the Senate, Chuck Schumer, blasted Cruz for stopping the discussion. The Republican minority has just pre prevented the Senate from even having a debate, a debate, just that, on voting rights in this country. I understand my Republican colleagues don't approve of every aspect of the Democratic bill to protect voting rights. But surely there are areas where our two parties can find some agreement. Partisan gerrymandering, for instance, has plagued our country for too long. It skews our democracy towards the extremes. It strips the American people of their right to have a truly representative government. Voters ought to pick their politicians, not the other way around. But that would not be common ground with Republicans. The redistricting fight in Texas is expected to be bitter and move forward very soon, as uh, soon as September. Actually, this week, uh, the Census Bureau transmitted the data to the states so that the map makers, which, of course, are going to be the Republicans, they'll start to draw the districts based on the numbers received from the census. And there are some things to watch on this. We're going to cover this in depth going forward as the redistricting fight really heats up in Texas. If it does at all, the Texas House still doesn't have a quorum, as we said, so they can't do redistricting without that. I tend to believe they will have a quorum by the time September rolls around, but we'll watch it. Um, it may be that the legislative redistricting can't 
be done. The Texas Constitution says that the legislative redistricting will be done in the first regular session after publication of the census. In this case, that would be in 2023, right? Not now, uh, but Republicans want to do it now. There's nothing that says they can't do it more than once, but they have to do it after the census has been published. So we'll watch that space very closely. One other thing here before we go, Dan Crenshaw continues to try to have it both ways when it comes to the Make America Great Again crowd. He And Jeremy has covered this very ably. And I, I saw this, um, and I'm, I'm just chuckling here because at some point you have to pick one side or the other when it comes to Trump. There's no uh, nuance. There's no room for, uh, you know, any sort of a detailed discussion uh, and no pushback either. Uh, this is the crowd who does believe, and this is why we're having this big elections fight, is because of people like this who showed up at one of the fundraisers that Crenshaw was speaking at. Um, these folks think that the election was stolen from Trump. Now, Crenshaw, who's a conservative Republican congressman from Houston, was pushing back on that. And this is, um, I don't know specifically that this was closed to the press. I'm pretty sure it was. It was a fundraiser. Um, usually you don't have cameras in there, but um, there was a camera in this fundraiser. And this MAGA guy, uh, somebody who's running for the Senate in Illinois by the name of uh, Bobby Pitton, he pushed back on Crenshaw when Crenshaw tried to say, look, the election was not stolen and you have got to stop fooling yourself. Listen to this exchange. Don't kid yourself into believing that's why we lost. It's not. It's not. You're, you're I'll wrong. Tell, I'll tell you openly. You're I'll wrong. You, and I'm not wrong. Yes, you are. I have states. plenty of proof. I have proof in Arizona, I, Pennsylvania, and Georgia. You, you did the Marco vote. Yeah. How did that turn out? And guess what? It's going to turn out and it's going to flip. Okay. We're you watch. We're gonna, you're going to see first won't. It won't. And, you're, and you've got to flip all five states to make you it. You know how they're stealing the elections? All right. I'm not, not going to argue this. I'm not going to argue this. I'll say it openly. This is something you've got to accept. Is there a lot of voters? He is right. I don't think Trump won. No, absolutely not. You'll see. Absolutely not. Five different states, yes. hundreds of thousands of votes. Yes. So it's a little hard to hear, but you can uh, make out the fact that Crenshaw is saying to this guy, listen, you're not going to overturn hundreds of thousands of votes in all these other states. This guy is saying, well, we've got, you know, the audit going in Maricopa County and Phoenix and Arizona, uh, and that's going to be the first domino to fall. And then you have uh, more dominoes to fall after that. This is the crowd that really does believe that former President Trump might be in office again later this year that it could happen within days and not just years. Um, and you have Crenshaw, who wants to move past this. There are a lot of Republicans. It's a very revealing moment. There are a lot of Republicans who really want to move past this. Privately, legislators and others who are Republicans are almost gleeful about the fact that going forward, President Trump should not be a factor in their elections because he was absolutely a drag on them before in places like Collin County, Fort Bend County, Denton County, Williamson County, uh, Hayes County, these suburban districts uh, that are uh, around some of our big cities. Um, that really complicated things for Republicans, the fact that Trump was either on the ballot or on the minds of people. And what do I mean by that? Well, he wasn't on the ballot in 2018, but he was certainly on people's minds. There was a lot of backlash to President Trump in this election in Texas or in this state uh, during our election in 2018. And in 2020, of course, he was on the ballot. And both times, it really complicated things for Republicans. They were having to differentiate themselves from President Trump without bad-mouthing President Trump. 
which is the kind of thing that Crenshaw has been trying to do. And Crenshaw, I'm sure, is thinking that he won't have to do that for much longer. But I do have this news for him. I just saw this today. Donald Trump and his Save America PAC has hired two political operatives from Iowa, a sign that the former president has not closed the door yet on a 2024 run for the White House. So these complications continue. We will continue our quorum watch. Go to quorumreport.com. We're keeping very close eye, a very close eye on all this for you so that you don't have to. Um, and um, we'll see what happens over the weekend. If there are any significant updates, we'll, we'll let you know there at quorumreport.com. HoustonChronicle.com as well as where you can check out all the latest news from around Houston and the world. If you enjoy this show, you should be a subscriber on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, however you listen to your favorite podcasts. We don't mind. A lot more people are using Pocket Cast these days, which I hadn't even heard of. But Well, I, I have, but I have never used it. I hear it's pretty cool. Give us the best rating that you can, and if you uh, use Apple iTunes, you should give us a review. Say nice things. We appreciate it. We'll see you back here next week to do it all again. Mm-hmm.